This week's episode is brought to you by Viewfinder Coffee Roasters. VCR is a specialty coffee roastery out of Dallas, Texas, that focuses on responsibly sourcing and sustaining roasting fantastic coffees from around the globe. They take a scientific approach to their craft, ensuring consistent and delicious results. Right now, they have unique coffees from Guatemala, Colombia, Brazil, and Ethiopia. You can subscribe to a coffee you love, or they have a Roaster's Choice subscription, so you can rotate through all of their options. With new coffees each season, you will always have access to try fresh and interesting brews. Make sure to check them out on Instagram at ViewfinderCoffee or their website, ViewfinderCoffee.com. And for a limited time, use our code from this show, 21WONDERS, that's the code 21WONDERS, for 12% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome. This is 21. Episode 5.1, The World's Most Iconic Gravesite. Welcome back to 21. Before we jump into our next wonder, I have a housekeeping matter to attend to. As I released the episode last week, I realized that I made a goof. At the end of episode 3.2, celebrations cut short, the preview for the next wonder was not correct. Uh, It was a goof that I made while I was writing, and I apologize if I caused any confusion. I put the preview for this week's episode all the way back there a couple weeks ago. I have gone back and corrected that, so if you are listening to this in the future, you have no idea what I'm talking about, and that's a good thing. I apologize also that I didn't catch it sooner, but I have gone back and fixed it. Uh, The preview at the end of episode 3.2 is now the preview at the end of episode 4.3, our interview with Mike Duncan. I want to thank all of you for your patience as I continue to learn how to do this in the best way possible. So far, we have looked at four wonders of the ancient world. The Temple Complex of Abu Simbel, the Ishtar Gate of Babylon, the Colossus of Rhodes, and Trajan's Bridge. Other than the Colossus, the other three certainly are not the most familiar to people. I have had a number of you reach out to me and tell me that you had no idea some of these wonders had even existed. But that is certainly not the case with our next wonder. We are returning to Egypt for what is certainly the most iconic building ever. It is one of, if not the oldest building still standing today. It also was on the original list of seven wonders of the ancient world. I am talking, of course, about the Great Pyramid of Giza. Despite all the familiarity with the Great Pyramid of Giza, it is so much more complex and interesting than we think we know. It is in fact so complex that we are still learning new things and discovering new things about it even to this day. In fact, it will take us multiple episodes just to cover the construction of the pyramid, never mind the history of the world's most iconic gravesite. But we first need to set the stage for the Great Pyramid. And to do that, we need to go way back in history. More than 4,000 years back in history. Egypt was one of the first major civilizations that established themselves in history. Egypt first became a nation when Upper Egypt and Lower Egypt became unified under one ruler. These rulers would become known as pharaohs, 
kings of the Egyptian people. But they were also more than that. They were religious figures, as we talked about when we discussed Abu Simbel. As god-kings, these men could not be subject to the same treatment as the average man. And the biggest way that the Egyptians showed this difference was how they buried their pharaohs. Elaborate tombs and pyramids became the norm for anyone who sat upon the Egyptian throne. Pyramids were constructed as tombs for Egyptian pharaohs because they believed that their shape gave the dead pharaohs easy access to heaven. It was believed that once a pharaoh had been buried in his pyramid, his soul would be able to climb the sides of the pyramid to join the gods in heaven. The Great Pyramid of Giza was not the first pyramid tomb to be built in Egypt. The first pyramid built in Egypt that we know of is another famous pyramid, and it certainly was the inspiration for the Great Pyramid of Giza, the Step Pyramid of Pharaoh Djoser at Saqqara. I won't go into too much detail about the Step Pyramid here. I thought about it, but the Step Pyramid deserves more than just a few minutes of rambling. It was one of, if not the first pyramids built in the world, and it was truly a unique construction project. As such, once we have completed our tour of the Great Pyramid, I will take an episode at the end to dive deeper into the Step Pyramid. But we will just cover the basics here. The Step Pyramid of Pharaoh Djoser at Saqqara was constructed from about 2670 to 2650 BC. Pharaoh Djoser was one of the first kings of the third dynasty of Egyptian kings. He was also the first Egyptian pharaoh to build with stone. His brilliant architect, Imhotep, came up with the concept for the Step Pyramid. He designed it in such a way of stacking massive chunks of stone on top of each other while slowly getting smaller and smaller towards the top. His finished design gives us the Step Pyramid. And as impressive as the Step Pyramid is, the Great Pyramid is truly superior in every respect. But King Djoser kicked something off in Egypt that would run for thousands of years. A fascination with, and the construction of, elaborate burial sites for deceased pharaohs. They became such a priority for pharaohs that some of them began working on their grave sites almost first thing into office. One of these pharaohs who did this was a ruler named Khufu, or Cheops as he would become known later. Khnum Khufu was the second pharaoh of the fourth dynasty of the old kingdom of Egypt. Purely due to the length of time that has passed since Khufu reigned and now, we are a little unsure about the details of his life. We believe he took the throne around 2575 BC, when his father, Snefru I, vanished from the historical record. But whenever it was that Khufu took the throne, one of the first projects that he started was the construction of his burial pyramid. This pyramid would take about 20 years to complete. It would become the greatest construction project the world had ever seen, and remains this way for more than a thousand years after its completion. It is truly one of the greatest buildings ever to be built. But the construction of the pyramid would be a monumental task, and Khufu knew that. So he turned to the second most powerful man in Egypt, his vizier. The vizier to Khufu was his nephew, Himayanu. He is credited with the design of the Great Pyramid. He was the son of the previous vizier, Nefermat, who was the vizier to the pharaoh Seneferu. 
I can't even begin to fathom the responsibility of constructing this pyramid that must have fallen on this man's shoulders. Even for the vizier of Egypt, who was in tune with the inner workings of the kingdom, such a construction project had never been attempted before. As such, there were numerous problems that Khufu and his vizier would have to overcome in order to construct this pyramid. The first problem was location. Khufu needed to pick a site which was big enough not only for his pyramid, but for the extensive workshop facilities, as well as room for other smaller tombs for his family. And Khufu wanted his pyramid to be more than just a tomb. He wanted it to become a central part of Egyptian society. However, the already completed step pyramid was in the area around Khufu's capital of Memphis, so he needed to choose a new site where it would not be overshadowed by this earlier impressive pyramid. Khufu chose a plateau called the Giza Plateau as the site for his pyramid complex. The Giza Plateau was a little south of the Nile Delta on the western shore. I have some maps of this up on the website at 21wonderspodcast.com. But now that he had his site, Khufu needed to figure out where he was going to get his building materials and a way to get the materials to the Giza Plateau. The fact that the majority of Egypt was desert presented quite a challenge to Khufu. While there were a few stone quarries in his territory, not many of them were close to his site, and certainly none of them could produce the amount of stone that he would need. Stones, mostly granite and limestone, none of these were close to the centers of power in Egypt. But Khufu found a way around this. He chose three quarries for the bulk of the stone used in the construction of the pyramid. One of these was close to the building site around the Giza Plateau. The others were much further south down the Nile River. One of these quarries was all the way down by modern Aswan, near where the temple complex of Abu Simbel would be located. I have some more maps to help with the geography of all this on the website as well. Now this might not seem like a big deal. Okay, so we had to find a few quarries for stone. That's normal. And while yes, normally this is the case, not so much here. It's not like the blocks of stone which would be used in the construction of the pyramid were small, easy to move and control. No, these were massive blocks of limestone and granite. The size still boggles the minds of modern historians and architects to this day. Historian Mark van der Meerhoop describes the blocks of stone as follows, quote, We estimate that it contained, the Great Pyramid, around 2,300,000 blocks of stone, with an average weight of two and three-quarter tons, some weighing up to 16 tons. Khufu ruled 23 years, according to the Turin royal canon, which would mean that throughout his reign, annually 100,000 blocks, daily about 285 blocks, or one every two minutes of daylight, had to be quarried, transported, dressed, and put in place. The construction was almost faultless in design. The sides were oriented exactly toward the cardinal points and were at precise 90 degree angles. End quote. Every time I read those details about the stones used in the construction of the Great Pyramid of Giza, I honestly stop and marvel. Every time. 
These numbers seem impossible by our modern standards, and yet somehow, more than 4,000 years ago, the engineers of Egypt figured out a way to do all of it. Mine the stone, transport it, put it in place. All without heavy machines or cranes of modern construction. As I have stated before and will state again, we do not give the ancient peoples enough credit. Even with something like the Great Pyramid of Giza standing there reminding us of their brilliance, intelligence, and diligence. Preparing the massive stones for the Great Pyramid was no small task either. These massive blocks had to be hand cut from quarries with bronze tools. Now bronze, as we talked about when we discussed the Colossus a few episodes ago, was a soft metal. The tools used to cut the stone would regularly become dull, bent, and useless. But the Egyptians developed a system to keep the men working and cutting the stone as fast as possible. They would have a greater number of tools than workers at a certain quarry. Then, when a chisel or pickaxe would begin to dull, they would take it to a man or a small group of men around a fire. There, he would pick up a fresh tool and leave his dull one. The men around the fire were tasked with resharpening the tools that were brought to them. This way, there was a constant rotation of tools, and none of the workers had to stop cutting. This system allowed the workers to cut the more than 2 million stones needed for the pyramid in a record amount of time. With his location found and his sources of stone set in place, he now came to the biggest problem, finding workers to work on the pyramid. It is here that we run into some of the myths and controversies about how the Great Pyramid was built. A common theory, for a while, was that the Jews, while living in Egypt, were forced to work on the pyramids as slaves. The Bible mentions how the Jews became subject to the Egyptians and were slaves to them after moving to Egypt to escape a famine in Palestine. But this theory isn't possible based on the historical timeline. If you examine the timelines of Bible history and line them up with timelines of Egyptian history, we see that the likely time that the Jews were in Egypt was around 1870 to 1440 BC. Now if this timeline is even remotely correct, then the Jews were in Egypt more than 600 years after the Great Pyramid was built. So the Jews didn't build the pyramid, then who did? Khufu came up with another genius way to get the workers he needed to build his pyramid. He developed a conscription system, which required every man in the empire to work on the pyramid for three to four months out of the year. The king split the available men of the empire into three groups, and had them put on three to four month work rotation of the pyramid. This way, the farms and other trades that these men also worked would not disappear or struggle and hurt the Egyptian economy. While the system was incredibly effective, as such it took the pyramid only 20 years to complete, this does not mean that the Egyptians were happy to be yanked from their homes and relocated for four months each year. The workers were put into barracks-like housing near the construction site, and they worked on the pyramid every day for the allotted time that they were there. They might not have been happy, but it's not like they had a choice. If the pharaoh said for you to do something, you did it. Khufu was also helped out by the lifeblood of Egyptian society, the Nile itself. For two months out of the year, the Nile would flood, covering the fields that lined each side of the river with water. Farming was thus impossible for a little while. 
Pharaoh would use this time to incentivize his people to come work on the pyramid. He would offer food, money, and favor in the kingdom if men would come during these months that their fields were unworkable. This worked, as men would come from all over Egypt to work on the pyramid during the two months that their fields were covered, whether they were in the conscription rotation at that time or not. With his workers, materials, and the site all figured out, the construction of the pyramid could officially begin. But one of the biggest initial problems in the construction of the pyramid was getting the massive chunks of stone to the site. As we mentioned earlier, two of the three quarries where Khufu got his stone were far down the Nile from the Giza Plateau. And the one that was close wasn't exactly right next door either. To get around this, Khufu built a number of small ships, more like canoes, to transport the stones up the Nile River to the Giza Plateau. There must have been hundreds of these ships on the Nile River, back and forth, every day during the construction of the pyramid. But this only got the stone to the Nile bank next to the Giza Plateau. The men still needed to figure out a way to move these two-ton blocks of stone from their boats up the embankment and to the construction zone. But once again, the Egyptians had an answer for this. Now, while we are unsure exactly of what the Egyptians did to get the blocks of stone from the river to the Giza Plateau, the archaeological evidence found there suggests a rather genius method. The Egyptians would create a path upon which they would set the blocks of stone from the river. On both sides of the path, they hitched oxen up to ropes going up the embankment, and then would hitch the oxen to the stone. But even the oxen would need help. So the Egyptians got some water from the Nile and watered down the path, making the sand both compact and slick. This would help the sand from piling up as the stone was pulled up the embankment. They also put wooden rollers underneath the stone as it was being pulled up. This system, while rather simple, proved to be quite effective, as the massive blocks of stone were moved with relative ease, considering their weight, from the river and onto the plateau. Now I know that I have gone through an awful lot of logistics here, but all of these were needed to be worked out either before or right at the beginning of the construction of the Great Pyramid. If the Egyptians had skipped or rushed past any of these steps, then the construction of the pyramid would have taken much longer to complete, if it was even completed at all. This was something that the Egyptians were masters at, logistics. They knew that the logistics had to be perfect and sorted out before construction began, and whatever project they were working on, whether it would be the pyramids or Abu Simbel, the Egyptians were master planners. With everything set to go, the construction began. The pyramid itself would be massive. It would be the biggest structure in the world for thousands of years, and despite numerous attempts to strip it, bust into it, loot it, blow the side off, the Great Pyramid of Giza held fast, and still holds some of its secrets even to this day. The Great Pyramid of Giza would rise 146 meters or 479 feet into the air. The base of each side of the pyramid is an astounding 230 meters or 754 feet. What truly makes this wonder so remarkable, other than its size, is how perfect it is. Each side of the pyramid is the exact same length 
give or take a few inches. This is absolutely astounding to think that the people who lived 4,000 years ago were able to do this without modern computers setting up linements or modern tools to measure it out. But the ancient peoples do not get enough credit. I firmly believe they had some technologies and tools that we are completely oblivious to today. They had to have had. It's the only thing that makes sense. That and hard labor. One of the questions people have about the construction of the Great Pyramid is how the Egyptians got the massive stone blocks so high into the air. The prevailing theory is that they constructed sand and dirt ramps up the sides of the pyramid to get the blocks of stone where they needed to be as the pyramid got higher. But this theory in itself poses another problem. Physics. Egyptologists Bob Breyer and Hoyt Hobbs describe the problem in some more detail. Quote, the problem is one of physics. The steeper the angle of an incline, the more effort necessary to move an object up that incline. So, in order for a relatively small number of men, say 10 or so, to drag a two-ton load up a ramp, its angle could not have been more than about 8%. Geometry tells us that to reach a height of 480 feet, an inclined plane rising at 8% would have to start almost one mile from its finish. It has been calculated that building a mile-long ramp that rose as high as the Great Pyramid would require as much material that was needed for the pyramid itself. Workers would have had to have built the equivalent of two pyramids in the 20-year time frame." End quote. If the ramp theory is accurate, that is a mind-blowing statistic that essentially two pyramids would have had to have been built over the 20-year period. But that honestly sounds like the only plausible theory. Unless the Egyptians had some kinds of cranes or something like that that we don't know of today. I personally believe it was a combination of both. I think that the Egyptians had some kind of machinery that they used in their heavy construction that we don't know about today, but that they also used ramps to help get the stone to a more favorable position. Now, there is nothing to support that in the archaeological record, but the Egyptians completed so many massive work projects, especially with stone throughout their history, that it is easy to believe that the Egyptians were more technologically advanced than we understand perhaps even more technologically advanced than some of the societies in medieval Europe. And with new discoveries of ancient Egypt consistently being made, like the one just this past month about the discovery of the city of Luxor, who knows what we might discover in the future. We're going to have to stop there for now, though. There are even more astonishing details about the pyramid that we will get into in the next episode. The Great Pyramid of Giza is so complex so amazing that we will have to spend the next few weeks covering the construction of the pyramid and the other sites on the Giza Plateau before we even get to the history of this wonder, which in itself is complicated. I believe we'll be spending more time on this wonder than any of the others on this show, but we'll have to wait and see how things go. Next week, we will begin to dive in what the exterior shell of the Great Pyramid would have looked like. Because what we see today is in fact just the base stone structure. It was covered in a glorious white limestone casing, which made it look like it was a teardrop out of heaven. We will look at what else 
was constructed on the Giza Plateau with the Great Pyramid. While not all that is there today was constructed by Pharaoh Khufu, the other monuments on the plateau were constructed by his descendants and wanted to live up to the standard their father set with his massive tomb. Yeah.